It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we got an interesting one in store today. Coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Donald Cohen, who is the founder and executive director of In the Public Interest, an Oakland, California-based national research and policy center that studies uh, public goods and services. He has a new book called The Privatization of Everything, How the Plunder of Public Goods Transformed uh, America and How We Can Fight Back. And uh, he'll be joining me coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour at 11 o'clock. In the middle, in the second hour, we're going to talk about how American presidents shaped the last century with the uh, author of a new book called uh, We the Presidents, inappropriately, How American Presidents Shaped the Last Century by Ronald Gruner. He'll be my guest. Now, I had scheduled uh, this this first hour um, an interview with uh, a, uh, a Marine who... Um, Grew up on on army bases and and then ended up serving uh, in Afghanistan and he's written a book called Volunteers. Uh, let me see if I get the whole title right here. Uh, Growing up in the Forever War, which came out uh, in November, but for some reason I haven't uh, I haven't heard from uh, Jared Alexander is uh, the guy's name and I haven't heard from him. Uh, yet this morning, but, uh, well, we can always uh, shift over to something else. Now, I've, uh, the last couple of days as we get rolling into the new year, um, I've, I've been sharing this. <laughs> I, for Christmas, I got, among other things, um, a stocking stuffer from my sister that's, uh, called the stupid uh 365 stupidest things ever said and at first i thought it was something she had collected from me the things that i had said because i always say stupid things and uh quite often on the air so anyway i got the idea um there's a different one for every day of the year i thought maybe i might benefit from sharing these with you as a way of just reminding people that I'm not the only one who says stupid things. So here's today's um, for Thursday, January 2022. Uh, and it's, uh, it was originally uttered by a hockey player 
who was recovering from a pulled groin. And, and the quote is, I don't know about the percentage, but I'm halfway there. So anyway, if I say something dumb, just, just remember that. In the meantime, since I haven't heard from Jared yet this morning, we're going to um, instead talk with, uh, well, let's see. Well, I, I think maybe we'll listen to uh, an interview I did yesterday with an author from the Rick Riordan Presents brand. And I'm not sure if you're familiar what that is, but there there are a group of authors that are writing stories that are based on very diverse cultures. Um, they, they might be uh, American tales, but influenced in today's case, uh, or in this case uh, with the author I'm about to talk to, Yoon Ha Lee, um, Korean folklore. But we've had others that Rick Riordan has, has taken under his brand and, and promoted that talk about um, uh, Middle Eastern culture and um, uh, Mexican culture. And what they do is they, take, they, they write these stories, mostly for young adult readers, um, that are based on characters that have these ethnicities and backgrounds and in their various adventures um, some of their cultural background and, and some of the myths and, and legends of their culture make their way into these stories either in very big ways or in, in supplemental ways. This uh, particular book, Tiger uh, Honor, is the name of the book by um, Yoon Ha Lee. And uh, I, I was actually um, planning to air this uh, interview tomorrow, but uh, since we have the time this morning, I'll go ahead and do this now. Let me, let me just, might have to make some adjustments in the, in the timing and so on. Uh, we got part here. Okay. I think we're good to go. Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do that. And, and welcome to live radio, folks. It does happen. And I'm surprised that uh, this is the first time this year that I've run into this because it's something that can happen very easily, especially at the beginning of a new year. And uh, people are <laughs> adjusting to new calendars and so on and so forth. So um, I'm sure I'll hear something from Jared and uh, we'll, we'll do something to get it rescheduled. But I was thinking that the interview with Jared might have been especially poignant today because, um, because it's the, the one-year anniversary of the Capitol insurgents. And it'd be interesting to get somebody with some strong opinions about the military's thoughts on uh, on what happened that day and the presence of uh, military and law enforcement people in the the group that um, launched that insurrection at the Capitol a year ago today. But instead, we'll talk about Tiger Honor and writing and fantasy fiction and so on with uh, Yoon Ha Lee. 
and will be uh, well coming right up. Fashion Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Sorry about that, folks. I uh, just had a call come in, which I was hoping to get. And uh, although we're a little bit late, I'm joined now on the phone by uh, my guest this hour, the author of, uh, oops, I've switched all my notes around here, is uh, Jared Alexander, the author of Volunteers, um, Growing Up in the Forever War. Uh, Jared, uh, good morning, Happy New Year, and welcome to the show. Happy New, Happy New Year to you too, sir. Sorry for the bit of the delay here. Well, I was uh, you. You did manage to call in time. I stalled a little bit, and I was about to go to uh, a filler interview, and the phone rang. So we got it just in time. And thank you for for following through, Jared. I know uh, it's it's tricky. Uh, <laughs> the beginning of a new year and new calendars and with all the things you're trying to do in, in order to promote this book but let's let's talk about this book um you know i'm considerably older than than you are and i remember growing up around people that served in um in world war Two, mm-hmm. and they didn't like to talk about their war experiences and so I find it kind of interesting, and, and I guess my first question is, why did you? It's a great question. I, that's a very good question. It's kind of a deep one. I think that I wanted to, I, I mean, I did not write the book with the intention of using it as a sort of form, as a form of uh, you know, self-therapy. My, my intentions weren't really there. But I, I wanted to just explore what it's like to be in that world. I, I want but more specifically, I wanted to explore, you know, the, the, the creation of somebody who goes off to do that kind of thing and, and what kind of influences are present and, and, and at the most extreme end, um, that, that sort of serves as a foundation for somebody who might end up in the military and fighting in a conflict. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I also needed to have the war there. It, it, would, it would be sort of, if I had, let's say I had written a book about just childhood and then going off to the Marine Corps with war as sort of the backdrop of that, I think it would have been a little one-sided. It, you know, it, it wouldn't have had the resolution it needed. Um, so I, you know, my idea, my intentions with the book were definitely very artistic and not, and not so much, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, is a method of treatment. Um, but I think that, 
I also come at world. I think I, I sort of I have a very philosophical approach to my own experience about world. At least I try to. Well, you come um, you come uh, from a family of people who served, and you grew up on on military bases. That's a little different than somebody who can't figure out what they want to do when they grow up and they they join the military. Um, you know, it was really almost kind of the world you lived in. That's right. I mean, I, uh, one of my earliest memories uh, is being around this machinery and seeing and watching it. I mean, I was five or six years old looking out the, the window of the uh, house I lived in and watched the fighter jets take off from the airfield, you know, and feeling that in, under my feet and, uh, you know, felt it, you know, violate the window panes when they kicked on the afterwards. <laughs> and yeah, so it's, it was definitely, I mean, it was, it, uniforms were everywhere. They were co- constant. They were, uh, you know, a uh, there was nothing relative about it at all. They were they were present and they remained so my entire childhood. You know, it, it puts you in a unique position to um, observe people who served. But then later, when you joined up and and ended up being deployed, you got to see where all these people were going off to and what was happening to them when they <laughs> were there. And so you really have. Um, a, a very broad sort of view of all of this. Yeah, I do, and I and I was given a lot of opportunity to see very varying aspects of the military. You know, I you know, starts with the Air Force, and then I, I witnessed the Army kind of doing what it's known for, what it's great at, and, and then of course the Marine Corps and the Navy. And so I, I, I was very fortunate in the sense that I was able to take a biopsy of the military. I think in a lot of ways, um, and just sort of look at it like a core sample and uh which was unique you know and i got to see the aspects of the military i think that a lot of people just don't like for example the the, the folks who responded to the anthrax attack in dc in 2001 i was a part of that and i that's a remarkably rare thing um i don't know that i consider it a positive it's obviously not a positive event and i think that i would you know be served in, in doing something else in that context but um, if it was going to exist, it was an interesting thing to, to, to witness and to be a part of it with response to. And that's something that even most people in the military can't say they've been a part of. And as small as an event that that might seem to be, it was big at the moment. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I got to see a lot of it. And I think that that's probably the, the, the thing that I'm most grateful for in retrospect is that I, I was able to see just so much of it and, and such a wide, wide you know, a, a wide uh, spectrum of it as well. Well, I, I think the book is, it's interesting that it comes out, um, or that it came out at the end of last year, just as uh, troops were coming back from mm-hmm. Afghanistan, um, and partly because of the title of the book, Volunteers Growing Up in the Forever War, and, and that's one of the, the criticisms that uh, the U.S. government has gotten was for the length of of time that the U.S. was in Afghanistan, and I want to talk about that and some more, but Jared, um, I, I apologize. I have a short break I have to take here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Oh, of course. Okay, my guest is uh, Jared Alexander, author of Volunteers, 
Growing Up in the Forever War. If you're listening to us on 92.1 LPFM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Stay right there. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. 
our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we continue my conversation with the author of a uh, new book called Volunteers, uh, Growing Up in the Forever War by Jared Alexander, and Jared joins me by phone. Jared, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem at all. Thank you. Um, Jared, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the end to the um, Afghanistan presence by U.S. military troops, and the president has gotten a, a lot of criticism about how that was handled and it, it got me wondering about something that you talk about in your book. Um, you share a lot of experiences growing up on uh, military bases, but you talk about um, seeing your stepdad leave the base to serve in the uh, Persian Gulf War and then and watching the war unfold on television. What is it like having been in that region and involved in, in some of this conflict and then when you see it portrayed on television, what are, 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 are we getting good information or not really? I think the information is there for us all. I, I, it's a matter of engagement. I, I think it's a matter of grabbing it and, and, and making it useful to you, uh, to us in general terms. Um, you know, I, my experience in Iraq was... was a little bit, um, I think it was pretty standard for the average Marine in that, in that period. You know, I was there in 2005 and 2006. But what really, what really grabbed me as it relates to my stepdad is that I was effectively fighting a continuation of the same conflict that he was in. And that really, the, the, perhaps is a better word for it, but it was a little depressing. And uh, it was, you know, my, we all sort of seek to end wars for our children effectively. At least that's the, the idea that we put forward when we fight wars. Um, and when we failed that, you know, completely. And you saw that in Afghanistan as well. There were, there were people who, were fought, who had served in Afghanistan in 2001 and 2002 who had children who were in Afghanistan 20 years later or 15 years later. And that's, that's a really dangerous dangerous trend to set and, and one that needs to be evaluated and, and the causes of which need to be evaluated as well. Um, a lot of times what we see um, and, and hear about with regard to American presence in the Middle East is it, it all seems to be about this geopolitical chess game. Does it look a lot different from the inside, Jared? Not really, no. Um, the only difference, I would say, is that the average rifleman has no real agency to change or influence geopolitical machinations. And so those issues no longer become part of his lexicon or, just, or never really were. You know, a lot of folks have asked me, you know, how can I be against a conflict and yet fight in it? And that's because the... I had no, as a Marine, I had no way of adjusting what our leaders did. I only had a, 
I only had the ability to influence what was in my sphere. And it was also a conflict that was going on, and, and it was important to, in the military to sort of be a part of that and to be at the, you know, sort of be a part of its own story. Uh, at least it was for me, and it was certainly for a number of friends of mine. Well, um, I, so I, heard, crit- I, t- I told you earlier, Jared, that, that I go back quite a ways, and I remember the horrible way that... that um, military personnel was treated coming back from Vietnam. And they were very often, the soldiers themselves were being held accountable for the decisions of their leaders. And I think America learned a valuable lesson um, in, at, at the expense of um, Vietnam War vets. Um, and, and so we have a better understanding that we don't have an expectation that Jared Alexander with you know with a rifle in his hand or or flying a drone or doing whatever you did while you served um, that you are uh, exercising policy. I, I think we understand that you are carrying out the policy that's been handed to you right the the average average service member you know is basically responsible for the last about 900 meters of American foreign policy. It's the very end of it, and it's and everything that lead, everything that decide is sort of influences how he behaves. Is those decisions are made before he even shows up there in a lot of a lot of ways. So he's simply, and so we talk about the Vietnam situation. I mean, those those folks who came back were were very foolishly made into avatars of political ire. You know, they were. You know, they, they couldn't, the protesters of the Vietnam War couldn't address their leaders, and so they felt it was important to go to Travis Air Force Base and, you know, belittle soldiers as they came off the plane. And that was horrendous. And I think there was a bit of an overcorrection uh, since then, though. I think that there's a, a sort of a idea that if you're protesting the conflict, therefore you must be protesting the troops. And, and that's invalid. You know, like you we have to be able to have a voice against the wars that were our soldiers being are fighting in, in service to the people who are fighting them. And, and I, there's a decision and right now. It, it, we, we have we sort of created this situation we can't get out of, and that we we don't like protesting conflicts either because it doesn't affect us directly, or because we're scared of basically being offensive to the soldiers who fight in them. Um, and I. That, that's a that's a, a worrying, worrying place to be. I think because it neuters voice and it neuters dis, neuters dissent and, and, and allows for wars to kind of persist a little bit. How frustrating was it? I, I, I sense a certain amount of frustration, Jared, just in the title of your book. <laughs> you know, when when you say, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the forever war. Um, how frustrating is it when? You have soldiers, uh, you know, well-trained and, and disciplined and, and the best army on the planet, and yet you're being deployed in a way that is unsuccessful or appears to be unsuccessful. How frustrating is that? That's probably frustra- frustrating to watch and, and to be a part of to a certain extent. I mean, it's, you know, you're watching waste. You're, you're, I mean, you're actively watching yeah. the waste of a the waste of a resource, and and you know nobody likes to see it. It would be like taking money out of your pocket and lighting it on fire instead of spending it on something meaningful. Um, 
you know, to prove a point, which is a lot of what war is in a way. And uh, that, yeah, that's incredibly frustrating to watch. You know, the 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 average soldier is a if we at the risk of sounding maybe callous is a something of a commodity, and it needs to be spent on something that's meaningful that we all take that we all get some kind of benefit from. Now it's hard to prove a negative when you're fighting fighting wars to prevent violence, but uh, you know it's. But it is something. It is an asset that needs to be preserved for conflicts that have real import to us, not not to, you know, establish an ideological or geopolitical beachhead on some sort of narrow front that has no real benefit to the average American. One of the things you talk about in the book is how television depicts war and and the impact that has on children. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I was motivated. Uh, heavily by film and television of the 80s. Um, you know, I think of, like, some of my biggest memories were watching movies like Platoon and, you know, Hamburger Hill and, and, and Full Metal Jacket and, and even more sci-fi in a sense, like, like Predator. You know, I, uh, you know, things like that were really, they were heavy influences on me. And then, of course, the, the war, the Persian Gulf War, as it was shown on television, which was very hazy, it was very... It was very patriotic. The, the message filter was very controlled, and what we saw of it was very controlled. We saw the planes flying in the sky and the tanks trundling across the desert to, you know, eliminate the Iraqi army. Um, you know, and that stuff had a real. It was very powerful to watch, and it sort of set the boundaries of what my interests were. I think in a lot of ways, like. I wanted to be the guy driving a tank in a lot of ways, or I wanted to be the, the person flying the jet because the image that was put forward was very romantic and, and very uh, aggressive. And for a young, young kid, especially a young boy, that was remarkably attractive. How do you think the U.S. treats um, serving and, and recently retired uh, um, military personnel i think it's generally positive but it's also somewhat superficial um i think that americans don't know what to do because they don't really have a connection to the war i mean there's such a sliver of americans who fight and serve in the military now compared to what it was say in world war ii which was massive population uh, the, the average american really just doesn't have a direct connection to the people who fight in them or the wars that they're fighting in and well, and when you talk about World War II, Jared, there were initiatives, even for the people who were back here, where there were no battles being fought, there were still people collecting tires and, you know, rationing mm -hmm. uh, food and oil and other things to contribute and help with the war effort. So even for civilians, there was some involvement. And we have right. seen that in, in more recent times. Right, I don't think we've seen that since Vietnam, and that that signals something in a way. I think that the one of the things that we, you know we talk about the Vietnam War protesters um, as a we 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 don't look at the motivations I think in a lot of ways, but the the draft forced people to engage with the foreign policy their country was involved in because they had you know the average American who might be drafted to fight in these conflicts they you know they were going to be influenced by what their country did overseas. 
Whereas now it doesn't really, it doesn't really, it doesn't work that way anymore. Now we can sort of disengage and we're not really asked to participate in the conflict either, either, either directly as a, as a service member or indirectly as some, as a, as a citizen who is asked to sacrifice something. And that allows for, that's why wars can last so long because we can kind of run it on the, on the, in, on the sort of not, not monetary, not cheap on a monetary level, but just sort of in the background. We can run it on low power. And as long as it doesn't affect our day-to-day life, we tend to look away from it. It no longer bothers us anymore. And I think that's why we see Afghanistan going on, you know, how, why it went on for 20 years. Now, it, it'd be impossible for me to get through this conversation with you, Jared, without asking you what your thoughts were a year ago today when you saw people mm-hmm. attacking the U.S. Capitol. I thought it was treasonous. I mean, there's no other way to put that. I, I uh, were you were you troubled by the fact that there were some uh, past and current uh, people who had served in the military and people from law enforcement that were on the side of the uh, insurrectionists? Not at all. I think that uh, policemen and, and and former service members are just as just as you know, uh, prone to fallacy and and you know in, you know bad rational bad. Ra- I lost your uh, I lost your voice there. I don't know what happened, Jared. If you, if um, if it doesn't, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Well, your voice dropped there out there go. for a moment. Oh, okay. So what I was saying was, is that my, my attitude toward those policemen and, and veterans are that, you know, they're, they're just as prone to irrational thinking as anybody else is. They just happen to have worn a uniform at some point. Um, they lost their way. They lost what matters and what, what doesn't. And they, they, they've been sort of co they had their intellect co-opted by bad ideas and, and, you know, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, my, after that happened, I, I had a very, what I, what I call a Sherman-esque Sort of response to it. I'm, I'm a fan of William Tecumseh Sherman's that you know approach to the South, and that was kind of burn it to the ground. And I was like, <laughs> these folks and these 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 organizations that do these sort of things need to be tested against the law to the last last letter of it. And uh, I, I to that I, I agree to that even I, I believe that even now what those folks did was horrendous. Well, it's it's. Uh, I find your view of it an important one because, you know, for so many people, it's just another thing on television, and that that's troubling to me, and I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you express that you have strong feelings about about that particular event. Um, but let's, let, me, let me ask this. Um, when you came back, of course, things have changed even since you were serving in the Middle East, um, but what was it like for you to see the political division that exists in this country? Um, did you feel connected in, in the same way, or were you in too much of a bubble for most of your life to, to understand where some of, uh, some of those people, like the insurrectionists, for example, but where some of those people might be coming from. 
That's an interesting question. I think that um, I was definitely in a, uh, you know, living in the, being in the military definitely puts you uh, into a cast that's sort of a, a little bit removed from the daily grind of the military. <laughs> I, or I'm sorry, daily grind from the world a little bit. You're, you're sort of, you're sort of separate from it because you, you don't have the same stresses that maybe the average American might have. You have different ones, but, but the ones that affect us daily maybe, maybe don't exist by virtue of the fact that there's always a food you know, there's a, there's, there's a meal coming. Well, yeah, there's three hots you know, and a cot you know. to start with. Right. You know, uh, the, one of the ironies about the military is that it's probably one of the biggest socialist organizations on, 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 on in our country. And, and, <laughs> and yet the people who are in it tend to lean right. It's a little bit strange in that way. And, uh, it's one of the, it's one of the sort of idiosyncrasies of the military. Um, but, you know, I, when I got out of the military, the political divisions in this country were not nearly as strong. The formations were there. I mean, they, they were there when I first enlisted. Um, you know, Newt Gingrich and his sort of, you know... Contract sort of with America. Draconian, yeah, his sort of draconian attitudes toward, toward his opposition uh, was already laid by the time I enlisted in the military. But you didn't see a lot of it. I didn't hear a lot of, a lot of discussion about it. I remember being a little bit... Like, I've always been sort of left of center, and, uh, you know, I remember having conversations with people when I was in the military that were certainly not, weren't aligned the same way. But, you know, the, the divisions that have come out of our country, I think, are separate from the military and, and very, much, very much on their own path and trajectory. But the tragedy is when it starts to affect the military, is when you start seeing political divisions inside the ranks. When that happens, now you have a you have a significant problem because they have to work together and they have to be able to function as, a, as an organization in order to be able to accomplish its tasks. And when that breaks down, and thankfully it hasn't, but if it gets to that place, then I'm then I'm going to be very concerned. You know, we've been talking mostly uh, about your experiences in the military and growing up on military bases. Um, but you also studied uh, journalism at, at uh, New York University. Um, what's, what's next for you, Jared? Um, do you have another well, I'm, book I, in the works? Uh, oh, I, yeah, I've got a, a, a number of ideas and one that I, I'm trying to finish a novel now. I'm very close to being done with it. And, um, yeah, I, I, my intention is to just, if I can write for the rest of my life, I think this is what I'll do. So um, I have a good laundry list of. I got a full dance card. So you, that way. You, you got you got the bug. Uh, Absolutely. What is it that you're hoping, Jared, uh, that people will take away from this book? You know, I think that one of the one of the big things I keep I keep landing on is I, I wanted to try to show that war is not just a or rather military service and fighting war, is not simply a matter of patriotism. There are other things at play, and there are other things that are going on inside the individual that need to be explored. It's a very morally complex landscape, and I wanted to show that a little bit, and I wanted to demonstrate that there's a certain amount of intellectual you know, uh, uncertainty or uh, moral uncertainty about it and, and show that, it's not, you know, people go into the military not simply because they happen to like the flag or their country, that it's a little more messy, and it's a little more um, nuanced than that. Has it become a profession? Oh, absolutely it has, yes. Yeah, it is a profession of arms. It is a, it is a, 
a career path for many people. Because you talk about, you know, I mean, the title of the book is Volunteers, um, but yet it's, uh, I'm, I'm really wondering if a lot of people were mustered out of military service um, where, where they would go to make a living. That's a good question. I think that, um, you know, a lot of the skills and trades are translatable, but some aren't, and it really depends on the field you're in. But I think that one of the struggles that veterans have is being looked at as just somebody who's capable of doing a job and not just a veteran. I remember early on in the wars, you know, people were getting out and they were having trouble finding work because employers were concerned about PTSD issues, irrespective of that being true for the person, you know. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of times what, what veterans run into is they get out of the military and they can't find themselves, they can't be accepted as just somebody else. It's just another employee. They have, it has to be, they have to get stereotyped a little bit. And I think that that's frustrating. It's frustrating for me when I've seen it in my own life. And I think it's frustrating for a lot of others in a lot of ways too. My guest is uh, Jared Alexander. He is the author of uh, a book called Volunteers, Growing Up in the Forever War. Um, Jared, the book came out in uh, late November of uh, 2021. Um, so it's it's been out for a few weeks. Have you gotten some feedback? What kind of feedback are you getting about the book? Generally positive. Um, I think it's a little early in the, in the, in the, in the process to... It's, it, it, books are slow, and they, and they reach audiences in a very slow way, I think, in a lot of times. And uh, But the folks who have read it have, have been very positive about it. They, they're, they're very appreciative of, of the way it's written. And then, the, of course, what's being told in there is, is, is it's hit the right nerve, I think, in a lot of ways. That said, I have had a, I've had seen a number, uh, one or two folks who have come back and said they've been, they struggled with the... I think they were expecting a more of a the special operator story, which is so prevalent in our culture right now. And that's not what this is. If you're looking for a story about Navy SEALs or the high-speed, <laughs> quote, high-speed, low-drag story about the military, this is not the book for you. Um, that's you, not what this is meant to be. You and I think, I think some people have come into it expecting that and have been sort of disappointed. <laughs> well, you examine futility a little bit, and I think that's uncomfortable for people. I also, yeah, I think it's uncomfortable. One, a good friend of mine said recently, he said, there, may, there are going to be some veterans who are going to have a hard time with this because it makes them look at aspects of themselves that they probably don't want to see. And, and I have seen a, not a lot of that. I've seen, but it did strike true to me because he's like, I try to ride the middle. I really do. I don't, I am neither fully anti-war or fully pro-war. And I think that that makes people sort of, especially in our culture being so binary in a political sense. Yeah, it, but that, it, Jared, that presupposes that war exists no matter what. Well, I think that... If, um, I mean, you can, you can be for it or against it, but it's always there. Sure, right. And, yeah, and, and, and being completely for something or completely against something usually neuters half the... <laughs> half the uh, intellectual intellectual aspects of the conflict, intellectual aspects of, of what we're discussing. I mean, it's it, it a binary taking a binary position on anything is probably a bad idea, with, the, well, with a few exceptions. Un unfortunately, we have to end there. But um, in in thirty seconds or so, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website, Jared? 
I do. It's jaredalexander.com and my name. My first name is spelled J-E-R-A-D. Well, Jared, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. And uh, good luck with the book. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Tom. All right. Take care. And Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you too. You too. All right. Take care. Again, Jared Alexander, author of Volunteers Growing Up in the Forever War. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program after we take a short break. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quick Blood Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. All right, all right, all right, you people, settle down. Here's your drill instructor to welcome you to Paris Island. Here is Sergeant Jimenez. Okay. Here is Sergeant Jimenez. And I want to welcome all you know good, stupid-headed knuckleheads to Paris Island. And that's the last kind words you'll hear from me. <laughs> now, I'm going to let you guys know what's going to happen here. I'm going to take you and I will work you until you drop, and then I will work you some more. You are nothing now. You are just a bunch of spineless honey fishes. <laughs> going to treat you rough, and you'll get no pity from me. You're in the Marines now. Are there any questions? Sergeant. What, darling? <laughs> There'll be no questions. If you got any questions, I'll give them to you. All right, we're going into training today. I will take you out, and you will crawl. A hundred yards through the mud under the barbed wire with the machine gun bullet shooting over your heads? <laughs> you will go to the fields filled with the boiling oil for another hundred yards? And after that, we'll start training. <laughs> now, during your training, we will observe the buddy system. Each of you will have a buddy. Stay close to your buddy because your buddy depends on you and you depend on your buddy. You have to swim, stay close to your buddy and he will help you. If you are under fire, stay close to your buddy and he will save you. And if you get wounded, your buddy will kiss it and make it well. (laughs) Any questions? Shut up, darling. I may be tough on you, man, but I'm going to give you a knowledge of everything I know, and I'm going to make tigers out of you, right? Right! Don't answer right. I'm going to make tigers out of you, so you got to roar. Now, roar! Come on, roar like a tiger! Roar again! Sergeant! What, pussycat? How about I settle down out there? Yes, man, I may be rough on you and tough on you, but someday, someday you will walk up to me and you will say, thank you. 
and I will say, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, one final word. There's only room for one sergeant in this outfit, understand? Now, if anybody here thinks that they can be the sergeant, let's hear from them now. Has anybody got something to say? Yeah, I got something to say. What did you want to say, Sergeant? <laughs> I have only comparatively recently emerged from the United States Army, so that I am now, of course, in the radioactive reserve. <laughs> and the usual jokes about the Army aside, one of the many fine things one has to admit is the way that the Army has carried the American democratic ideal to its logical conclusion in the sense that not only do they prohibit discrimination on the grounds of race, creed, and color, but also on the grounds of ability. <laughs> Be that as it may, some of you may recall the publicity a few years ago attendant upon the Army's search for an official Army song to be the counterpart of the Navy's Anchors Away and the Air Force's Up in the Air, Junior Birdman, and so on. <laughs> I, uh, I was in basic training at the time, and I recall our platoon sergeant, who was an unfrocked Marine. <laughs> Actually, the change of service had come as quite a blow to him because it meant but he had to memorize a new serial number, which took up most of his time. <laughs> At any rate, I recall this sergeant's informing me and my roommates of, uh, <laughs> of this rather deplorable fact that the army didn't have any official, excuse me, didn't have no official song. <laughs> and uh, suggested suggested that we work on this in our copious free time. <laughs> well, I submitted the following song, which is called It Makes a Fellow Proud to Be a Soldier, which I think demonstrates the proper spirit, you'll agree. However, the fact that it did not win the contest, I can ascribe only to blatant favoritism on the part of the judges. The heart of every man in our platoon must swell with pride For the nation's youth, the cream of which is marching at his side For the fascinating rules and regulations that we share And the quaint and curious costumes that we're called upon to wear Now Al joined up to do his part, defending you and me he wants to fight and bleed and kill and die for liberty. With the hell of war, he's come to grips, policing up the filter tips. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. When Pete was only in the seventh grade, he stabbed a cop. He's real RA material, and he was glad to swap his switchblade and his old zip gun for a bayonet and a new M1. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. After Johnny got through basic training, he was a soldier through and through when he was done. Its effects were so well rooted that the next day he saluted a good humor man, an usher, and a nun. <laughs> now, Fred's an intellectual, brings a book to every meal. He likes the deep philosophers, like Norman Vincent Peale. <laughs> 
He thinks the army's just the thing because he finds it broadening. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Flunked out of second grade and never finished school. He doesn't know a shelter half from an entrenching tool, but he's going to be a big success. He heads his class at OCS. It makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our old mess sergeant's taste buds have been shot off in the war, but his savory collations add to our esprit de corps. To think of all the marvelous ways they're using plastics nowadays, it makes a fella proud to be a soldier. Our lieutenant is the up-and-coming type. Played with soldiers as a boy, you just can't bet. It is written in the stars. He will get his captain's bars, but he hasn't got enough box tops yet. <laughs> Our captain has a handicap to cope with, sad to tell. He's from Georgia, and he doesn't speak the language very well. He used to be, so rumor has, the dean of men at Alcatraz. It makes a fella proud to be what as a kid I vowed to be. What a luck to be allowed to be a soldier. At ease. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. One thing about this world you can't depend on anything. The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name. But here we are in America, ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on? Our children going hungry, teens are turned to crime. And politicians know it's true, but they ain't got no time. Now here we are in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on.
Get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.